Hear this from Paul's letter to the Romans, chapter 8, verses 1 through 17. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us, who do not live according to the flesh but according to the Spirit. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires, but those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of his spirit who lives in you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship, and by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray, shall we? Lord, we do bless you for your word, and, and we thank you, God, that we know Scripture to be your word by the inner witness of the Holy Spirit. Uh, we can try to make an explanation all day long, uh, but thank you that in our spirits we can know that the Scripture is your word by what you've placed inside us, who you've placed inside us. Thank you that you bear witness to that truth, Lord. So now make your word alive in us, help us to receive it, help us to be guided by you and to bless your world in the name of Jesus through it. We ask in his name, amen. amen. I can't tell you how good it is to be preaching to people <laughs> and not to a camera. 
oh my goodness, during that season of looking at my phone, that, that was just brutal. So it's good to be together. Uh, we're, we're continuing this sermon series in the book of Romans, of course. And uh, as, as you've heard, uh, read already today, we're considering the first half of chapter 8. And that passage starts with one of Paul's favorite words, which we have hit many times, therefore. So this takes a little unpacking because whenever we see that word, we know that what's coming next is a logical progression, maybe even the, the kind of spiritual and theological conclusion of that which has come previously. And, and really, I think we're at the point in the book of Romans where there are two therefores in the passage that we, that we read today. These are... These are something of the gospel conclusions based on everything Paul has said in the book of Romans up to this point. And if, if you're more familiar with the Bible, think about the flow of, of Romans. You know, the, the first 15 verses are introductory and then Paul spends a couple verses making his thesis, stating what he's going to talk about. And then starting in verse 18 in chapter 1, he begins making the case. And that case has been building through seven chapters up to this very point. And if you remember, he begins the case by stating how, how broken the world is, how broken people are, how sin has universal reign in all of us but for God's help. And then he, he turns the corner and he describes the way God wants to give people a restored relationship with him through faith in Jesus. Remember that? I mean, the, the great chapter 3 of, of Romans, the ending part of that chapter. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known. This righteousness is given, given, it's a gift, given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. Uh, meaning God gives us the status of being in a right relationship with him by his grace and through faith in Jesus. And just like he did with Abraham, God credits faith as righteousness to all those who trust him. In, in our case, those who trust what Jesus has done for us. And this is the gospel. And it changes everything. And, and the change that it brings about is largely the topic of chapters five through eight. Remember, that's what we've been doing this fall. With, with faith in Jesus, uh, we become new people. Completely brand new people as if born again. We live in a new world that we understand to be dripping with God's grace. Remember, the gift is not like the trespass. The gift is much, much greater than the trespass. We're not, we're not just waiting for heaven in this life, trying to, trying to eke through life. We get to live our new life in Christ in this new world full of God's grace. We get to live this life right now. And sin no longer has mastery over us. We've been freed from being enslaved to it. We serve in the new way of the spirit, not in the old way of the written code. And we engage a new struggle. This is what we talked about last week. Knowing that we've been saved and are in a right relationship with God because of what Jesus has done, still we struggle with the power of sin in the present. And our call is to cooperate with God in his sanctifying work in us. And all of this has been building all of that leads up to this therefore, the spiritual and theological conclusion of the gospel. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. Yeah, we all struggle. I mean, Paul just got done talking about it. The text from last week, right? We struggle with sin, 
We're up and down and all around. Sometimes we feel wretched at the gap between how we find ourselves behaving and what we believe about Jesus. But all of that said, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. None. Not even a little. And Paul goes on to remind us of the basic points of the gospel. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, the problem wasn't with the law, the problem was with us, right? God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh but according to the spirit. I wonder if we could leave this up on the screen for a moment. I'd like to unpack this, this verse. Flesh, the word flesh here is talking about our fallen selfish nature. Not our, not our physical body. Our fallen, selfish nature. And, and what the law couldn't do, not because there was a problem with it, but because we were weak in our fallen, selfish nature, what the law couldn't do, God did. And this is the gospel in two words. God did. God did by sending his own son This is what Jesus meant by his last words on the cross. It is finished. The debt of sin is paid in full. In Christ, your debt is paid in full. God did. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us. Not partially met, not mostly met, fully met. God did and it's done. This is justification, the crediting of righteousness, a right relationship with God to us based on what Jesus did for us. All the requirements of the law fully met in us because Jesus met them on our behalf. I don't know if you caught the, uh, the service last week, but we celebrated World Communion Sunday, and I stood down there and spoke the words of the communion liturgy. I mean, this, this is what we do whenever we celebrate communion. We come remembering that our Lord Jesus Christ was sent of the Father into the world to assume our flesh and blood and to fulfill for us all obedience to the divine law, even to the bitter and shameful death of the cross. The substitutionary nature of this whole thing. Jesus did it for us and we are free. It's an amazing thing. God did and it's done. And the conclusion of this good news, this gospel, is that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And, that, and that's a truth we need to keep telling ourselves. You know that. you felt that if you try to follow Jesus. It's so easy for that truth to drift and us to begin to, to feel and think of ourselves as being condemned again. There's a battle going on, a battle in our mind. Paul's talked about it often, and he references, references it here again. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. Remember, fallen, selfish nature now is what flesh means. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. Now, if you live according to your fallen, selfish nature, you have your mind set on what that fallen, selfish nature desires. 
And the original language has the connotation of setting one's mind, of choosing a course of thinking, or of adopting an opinion. We have an active part in this. And according to the text, we can set our mind, our thinking, on one of two things. Our fallen selfish nature or what the Spirit desires. And there are implications. Right? The mind centered on our fallen selfish nature is death, says the text. There's no life there. It's a dead-end road. And maybe you've experienced it. Maybe you've you followed this road quite a ways in some area of your life. Maybe even arrived at the place of destination according to that path. You, you got everything you wanted and realized you did not receive the satisfaction that was promised. It's a dead-end road. But the mind centered on what the Spirit desires, the Holy Spirit, is life and peace. Now, we can't Go back to the chapter 7 conversation about the struggle with the power of sin in the present. It would be easy to read this, you know, is my mindset here or there kind of thing and think, oh man, am I, even, am I even saved? Because my mind toggles all around all the time. My mind's all over the place in the struggle with sin. That's not what this is saying. And, and Paul clarifies. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh but are in the realm of the spirit if indeed the spirit of God lives in you. And once you've been credited a right relationship with God through faith in Jesus, the Holy Spirit takes up residence in you. This is just what happens. I, I remember um, a youth group trip with the church I served in Des Moines, Iowa. I was the pastor of outreach, but the junior high and high school groups were driving up to the Twin Cities to go on a big ski trip, and, and they, they really wanted the pastor to go along, so I agreed. And I love to ski, so it was fun. Uh, but we went skiing for the day and then went to the Mall of America for dinner. Like we had the, kind of an evening at the Mall of America. I remember walking into that place and thinking, this is utterly ridiculous. You ever, you ever been there? It's three stories. It's huge. You have absolutely no idea where anything is. The first thing we did was we went and looked at, for one of those mall maps, you know. What's the first thing you do when you look at the mall map? What's the first thing you look for? Somebody say it out loud. Where you are. You look for this thing. Because without that, you have no idea where you are. But once you know that, then the whole map makes sense and you can find your way around. In Christ, you are in the realm of the Spirit. And Paul says this in other ways. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves. This is where you live as a Christian. This is the space you occupy. In the kingdom of Christ, the realm of the Holy Spirit. Right? It's incredibly important spiritually to be able to locate yourself properly. In Christ, you live in the realm of the Spirit. No one and nothing can ever change that. And that fact orients us to everything else. You are here. And all this good news, righteousness credited to us, no condemnation for us, rescued to uh, live in a new realm, the realm of the Spirit, all this good news leads to another therefore. 
Therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation. But it is not to the flesh to live according to it. Instead, our obligation is to the Holy Spirit and to live by the prompting and guidance of the Holy Spirit. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit, says Paul in Galatians. What this means for us in in this passage is that we ought to stay in the fight, the fight of sanctification, participating with God in what God is doing in us. Don't give up. Don't throw your arms up and say, I don't know, I'm never going to get it right. I'm just that way. I'll never change. As a follower of Jesus, you do not get to play that card. You don't. It's not even in the deck. Right? That's an excuse. You know what an excuse is? Uh, a lie wrapped with a reason. That's an excuse and God loves you too much to let you get away with it. We are to put to death the misdeeds of the body, Paul says, because as a follower of Jesus, you are not your own. You were bought at a price. I mean, everything good in our lives we've received as a gift from God. Therefore, we have an obligation. We owe a debt. It's kind of what the original language actually refers to. We owe a debt to cooperate with God in the process of salvation he's working out in us because that salvation was very, very costly to him. Unless that obligation feel burdensome, we're quickly reminded of our identity. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. And we do all of this from the context of, of being beloved children of the King. We can call God Abba, the Aramaic equivalent of, of dad, right? The intimate term for, for our father. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because in Christ, the spirit who gives life has set us free from the law of sin and death. In Jesus, ours is the king and the kingdom. We are heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. Did you catch that? We're, we're co-heirs with Christ but we're heirs of God. We're not heirs of an estate. You know, our inheritance is God himself. What an amazing thing. And in this new life we enjoy in Christ, we have a new obligation to keep in step with the Spirit, to seek the Lord and cooperate with God in what God is doing in us. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Pray with me. God, we thank and bless you for your goodness to us. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the gospel. Thank you for doing what you have done for us, for our freedom, and all that we might live in real relationship with you now and forever. God, wherever we're hung up, in the great truths of the gospel, help us, guide us. We lift to you all of the struggles that we have in this life and ask you to help us with them and help us turn to you. We love you, Jesus. We pray in your name. Amen.